Episode 286, Advice for Health Systems in the Face of Consumerism and Value-Based Contracts. Today, I speak with John Rodas, MD, MBA. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. John Rodas, MD, MBA, is an OBGYN specializing in high-risk pregnancies. He's been a board examiner and a department chairman. He's been a COO and a CEO of a 600-bed level one trauma center. He's also an author working on a book to help consumers make better choices. Dr. Rodas has said he feels an inflection point is coming in the transition to value. First, we have the pressure of large employers. Second, we've got doctors themselves who are being crushed by the current environment and who may also have realized that FFS is kind of risky in the middle of a pandemic. The third force toward the inflection point is the new breed of fee-only transparent brokers. And then fourth, we've got the government, particularly state governments who are struggling fiscally coming out of this pandemic and also realizing that the current healthcare system is pretty rigged to profit on the backs of taxpayers and firefighters and teachers. In the face of this transition, health systems who aren't keeping up with the times are at increasing risk. Given that Dr. Rodas has held pretty much every job in healthcare at this point, he's probably the perfect person to ask how to quantify that risk, number one, and then what health system leaders should be doing in the face of it. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. John Rodas, MD, MBA. Welcome to Relentless Health Value. Well, thanks for having me, Stacey. Nice to be here. You know, I interviewed um, Dr. Aaron Mitchell from MSK the other day, who was talking about buy-in bill. And one of the things that he said is that he was kind of pessimistic about change. I mean, he was talking specifically about buy-in bill because there's too many people who have it too good in the current system. The current system works too well for too many people. Kind of what you're suggesting is that the the scales are starting to rebalance or balance to some extent. And then now there's enough people that the system is not working well for that we're starting to get to a point where that side might be heavier or have more leverage than the vested interests who have prevailed very successfully thus far. Oh, you know, there's no doubt about it. At the end of the day, it's all about economics. If you think about move to value, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And it's going to be very, very difficult for these systems to adapt or pivot, particularly if they've ignored both the numerator and the denominator in the value equation, i.e., if they haven't really focused on the quality measures. So when the prices become equal, if healthcare becomes more of a commodity, and I think we're you know, still far from that, but as those prices become more even, what are people going to look at? They're going to look at the quality measures. And it's a very hard to pivot when you've had a very high cost structure because you've been able to manage that. You pay your people more, you build new buildings, you get the latest technologies, whether there's any evidence of work, they work or they're better or not. And what happens now when people start shifting the business, particularly for your high margin procedures? your total hips, your total knees, your spine operations, your heart operations, if they start pivoting to your competitor because they're a lower cost, high value provider, what are you going to do? So you're going to have to lower your cost structure, which is very, very hard to do and it's painful. And at the same time, you're going to try to drive up your quality measures, your safety measures. But I can tell you from experience now, having done it in two different organizations, those are not quick changes. Those are really three to five year cultural transformations. They can be left down the cold. They have to be very, very careful. 
let's just say you are right. So I'm a health system leader and I'm listening to this and I'm like, you know what? I'm putting the level of confidence interval on on this conversation. And every chance that you're right, like every percentage chance that you're more right (laughs) is a higher percentage of risk that a health system is taking if they do not act now. If you had to quantify the risk that a health system leader is taking by not doing any of the things that I am anticipating we're going to talk about next, what happens to them? could be very painful. I mean, look, this history is full of innovation and disruption that has put businesses that have dominated the world markets for a long time. I mean, look at U.S. Steel as a classic example. You'll learn about a business school, right? They dominated the market. They leveraged their market dominance. And they basically went belly up when lower cost folks came into the market with a similar quality product. And I think that's the potential. People should really pay attention to history because there's large companies that don't exist anymore. I'm old enough to remember, you know, Pan American Airways. <laughs> Where are they today? Uh, so I think we fool ourselves sometimes that all oh, will be around forever. And most of us have been around for more than 100 years. But uh, I think we could be around, but in a very different state. It's there the, where you're vulnerable is that because the way we get paid, right, in healthcare, right? I'm talking now from a healthcare executive's point of view. You know, we have Medicare and Medicaid, obviously, are two of our bigger payers as a percentage. But when you actually look at the dollars, the nominal dollars, where does most of the money come from? It's still coming from the commercial contracts we have. If that model starts to change, if people start talking directly to employers and start shifting some of that business, or employees, the patients themselves become better consumers and start looking for value as they have a larger and larger share of the cost to bear, you're vulnerable to that. And I don't think it's going to change overnight. And I think most people up until now pretty much say, ah, I'll see you when I believe it. And I get it. I, I understand that. But I think, as I pointed out, I think if you don't do something now to start changing at least your numbers on the quality and safety and patient experience and patient satisfaction scores and really looking at your total cost of care, I think that's the denominator is very important. I mean, it's no doubt money's going to drive this. The large, the large health systems have to look at their costs. And I don't mean their prices, I mean their costs. What's the total cost of care for a patient having a knee replacement? You know, we were fortunate to go up to Harvard Business School when I became a service line leader and learned about, you know, looking at uh, time-driven activity-based costing. And, you know, Michael Porter and Bob Kaplan are great professors, taught us a lot about the cost. And, you know, let's, like, let's take orthopedics as an example. I said, you know, patients, let's say you have a large orthopedic group in your health system, and it's a single group, and they also happen to own an MRI. Well, there's a good chance that if a patient has a hip or knee problem and needs surgery, they might end up having an MRI. You've just added a few thousand dollars of cost to the care, and they haven't even come to your hospital yet. But payers who are looking at all claims data and have the whole continuum of care as a cost, they'll see that and say, wow, that's cost $3,000 more at hospital A versus hospital B, even though you have no control over that. Then within your hospital, there's a tremendous variability in the cost of care. The variable costs for case, from case to case are tremendous. So unless you're aligned with your doctors to look at that, and try to get those costs down and work with them to get better pricing for your vendors and not get, you know, gouged for $300 pedicle screws that probably cost just a few dollars. It's kind of like the old military $300 hammers, you know. Try to get your variable cost per case down. And then there's the post-acute care that, again, as hospital leaders, we tend not to think that much about. But that adds a tremendous amount of cost at the back end. And there's DME in this too, people, you know, you could buy an electronic ice pack that that costs thousands of dollars that adds that much cost to the episode of care. So executives have to look at the total cost of care throughout the continuum of the episode of care, even the parts that they're not necessarily directly responsible for. 
And the risk there is a payer, and I'm thinking we're mostly talking about the ultimate purchaser here, like the employers that are funding the commercial insurance or the patients who are funding the commercial insurance plans are ultimately going to turn around and say, whoa, 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 as uh, Peter Hayes said from, from Maine. I mean, they actually did look at this and they realized that there was some knee replacements cost was like 650 grand. I mean, it was crazy. And other ones cost 20. The variability in cost is crazy. And I did actually interview Rob Austin, who talked about the the variability in the supply chain and how a hospital really needs to get the supply chain under control. And we spent a lot of time talking about hospitals have ridden so far on total cost of care. And if they needed 5% more revenue, they just jacked up prices across the board 5% and didn't necessarily have to get into cost accounting. So I think you're effectively saying the same thing. Because it's really difficult if you're, you know, you mentioned Remedy Partners that does bundled care in Connecticut. Well, how are you supposed to figure out what the price is for a bundle if you have no idea what the services cost? Is that kind of what you're saying? And if bundles are an entree point to value-based care? Yeah, and I think what, and I think that's a great point. I think the difference today than from what was before is people have now all claims data. So they actually know what everybody's paying everybody. And they also have the total episode of care. through. They can follow patients through the continuum of care. Which, you know, as a doctor, you kind of really have no idea. I mean, right, you practice your whole life, and you have really no idea what it costs you. Look, I was a high-risk OB guy. What did it really cost to deliver a baby? It wasn't really that. We never really could figure it out, right? The prenatal visits, the lab tests, the ultrasounds, if you need an amniocentesis or cardiac sampling, the delivery itself, the care after ones. We're going to have much better analytics today. Or we may not have it, but people do have it. The folks who are paying the bills are starting to have it. The brokers have it. And I think they're the ones who can go to the employers in a different way than it used to. I was, you know, when I was a chief operating officer, I would meet with the brokers about our own health plan. We had about 5,000 employees then, and it's a significant line item in our budget, right? And they would say, well, you can go with, you know, they talk about the Bucas, and, you know, Blue Cross is going to be this, and Anthem's going to be this, United's going to be this, and it was really comparative pricing. But the value and what we were getting for our money really wasn't part of the equation. But I think now the conversation is starting to change. We say, you know, if you're last year, you spent this much money on hip, knee, and spine surgery, and if your patients went to this hospital, which is just down the street, versus that hospital that half of them have gone to, let's say it's about a 50-50 split, you would save yourself 3 or $4 million. Oh, and by the way, the outcomes are actually better. Well, that's kind of a tough conversation to have, right? I mean, it's very hard for you as an employer, just from a moral and ethical point of view. What are you going to say? Oh, I don't care. Wouldn't you save 4 or $5 million? And of course, the numbers can be much larger depending on the size of your business. And so you, then you've got health systems. I think the, the point that you're making is becoming more clear that if I'm a health system executive and I'm not paying attention to those dynamics and, you know, layer on to that, health systems aren't just competing against local health systems any longer because there's medical travel and there's plenty of employers who are very okay to send employees to even a different state if uh, for, for some of these high cost procedures or sometimes even a different country. But then also a whole other layer of competition wherein health systems are not competing against health systems any longer. You know, you were talking about the disruption, you know, the Clay Christensen disruption sort of, you know, idea coming out of Harvard. And there are new players coming in. You know, you got Walmart, you got occasionally Amazon, you've got Iora, you know, like there's a number of different care models, apps that are coming into play, which are could potentially disintermediate some of these revenue generators that the health systems are looking at. You've mentioned value a couple of times. What's the formula that most use as they calculate value? Well, I think when, uh, as I said, you go up to Harvard, you'll, you'll simply you'll learn value is in, in anything, actually value is quality over cost, right? 
And I think, you know, my personal focus over the last decade or so really has been to drive the numerator of that number, which I felt that that time I had more control over. And what's what goes into the numerator of quality? In my mind, there's kind of four domains that go into it. There's actually quality patient outcomes. I think there's safety output first, I think, because you always have to put safety first. So I said safety, quality outcomes, patient experience, and a patient satisfaction. I don't put those in any particular order. I think they're all very important. There's a lot of overlap between them, but I see them all as variants on a theme. And I think those elements can be modified. If I list, if I'm thinking about the, the four things that you just mentioned, you know, safety, quality, outcome, satisfaction, it could have been be one of those in the eye of the beholder things. <laughs> You know, like even Marty McCary was talking about, you know, he asked one of his patients why they came to John Hopkins, the most reputable place for certain kinds of oncology surgeries. You know what I mean? With like the best surgeons in the world. And the person answered, oh, they have, you have great parking. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you think about, you know, like who is looking at this numerator that you're talking about? And, and do you feel like there's enough shift or variation in what various parties are looking for, that it's tough to find the kind of like the center point? It's a great question. And that's actually, that question is why I'm writing a book, because I realized that people look for different things. And, you know, you could, if you're shopping for a car, you could do a side-by-side comparison in about two minutes with any of multiple websites, let's say Edmunds.com. And I could line up the two cars I'm interested in side-by-side. And for me, because I'm tall, and I'm, I sit, I'm more, I'm more torso, right? So I sit like somebody six foot four. So front head roam is important to me. And I tend to drive fast. So it's braking is very important to me, right? Not zero to 60, it's 60 to zero is actually more important. But if you have teenage kids and a family you drive with, rear leg room might be more important. So some patients actually might really care a lot more about the service and the quality and the food and the parking. Other patients are going to be much more concerned about the hospital-acquired infection rates. And unfortunately, the data, while it's all out there, is very clunky. It's very hard to navigate. And, you know, I said earlier, I'm a free market economist. The problem in this market, it's not that free. I don't mean it from a cost point of view, but there's really opacity regarding all of the, both the numerator and the denominator of, this, of the value equation. So how the hell are people supposed to shop if they can't really figure out anything about the quality or the cost? But they know what's important to them, to your point. They wish they could find it, right? And I'm, my point is trying to help them say, here are the, here are the things that you can look at that in the public domain to compare one hospital to another when you have a choice. What I was going to bring up is that there are certain people, I don't know that you can ever count on a consumer. There's just such an asymmetry of knowledge. Will a consumer ever be able to know that one treatment regimen is better than the other and they got shoved down the one that's the most lucrative, but perhaps isn't the most evidence-based. Most consumers, if you ask them, is your medicine you receive evidence-based? They'll say, oh, yes, it certainly is. And until, you know, at some juncture, they figure out that it's mostly not. You know what I mean? And, and I'm of course. kind of being cynical, but at the same time, realistic that you can't pit. And I think we see this on the internet all the time to my great dismay and frustration. You know, like you've got some random person who read three pages on the internet actually thinking they're going to have a debate with someone with four postdoc degrees in epidemiology. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, I feel bad for consumers, to truthfully, patients. They don't have a clue. And, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. They just don't. How could they? Of course, we spent years and years of studying and they, they do tend to trust us. So. And that's why there's an entire industry. So now these cottage industries are popping up to really talk about the treatment of your cancer for breast cancer or peritoneal cancer or whatever it is, 
and really giving you with using good data for patients like you with your particular parameters, your biometric parameters, say, you know what, this is the most cost-effective treatment for you. Or they'll go to your employer and say, hey, listen, you know, I know your patients have this for breast cancer. This is really the best place to go. And again, I think it's both, it's not just the cheapest care, because people are never going to want to go to the cheapest place, right? They're going to want to go to the place with the best value. So someone said, here, there's, here's their data on their outcomes. Outcomes that really matter, by the way, to patients, not tumor-free intervals, but it's survival and quality of life, right? That's what people really care about. And if they start having that, that information is becoming more and more available now. And the prices for some of these drugs, even if you get the same treatment, the prices you pay are exorbitant. And people are going to start buying those, again, the pay, people paying these bills and start buying those drugs directly from the manufacturer, cutting out the middlemen, including the hospitals and their infusion centers, and saying, well, we could deliver this product at, at a less expensive site. And you get the same exact medications. Yeah, so who's the arbiter of safety, quality, outcomes, and satisfaction? I think that's the pivotal question that we're kind of circling around here. You know, like, is it actually the consumer or is it the employer? And who is most equipped to actually be the successful arbiter? Because the numerator is is half the equation here. And if there is any number of definitions of what good looks like from that numerator standpoint, that quality standpoint, then... Do you have different health systems competing against different market segments? Do you have, you know what I mean? Like that makes it a tougher go. It does. It does. And again, the lack of transparency is a factor here. But look, if I am if I need a knee replacement, let's just say I'm a 50-year-old so-and-so and I need a knee replacement, you know, now, especially now during this time, there's things now that I actually might be paying a lot more attention to than I ever did before. First of all, the outcome that matters to me is, one, am I going to be okay functionally? And when am I going to get back to work? And those are probably the most important parameters. My employer, of course, has a best interest in trying to get me the best value, right? Particularly the cost, because as your point, that's the easiest part of the equation to get. And during this pandemic, I'm really, I might start paying attention to, you know, how does that hospital do with hand hygiene or hospital requiring sections or readmission rates for a total hip and knee replacement? And if they say, gee, that hospital is twice the readmission rate, and, you know, this there's a lot of variability here in state by state and within the same cities and, and for procedures. You might really start paying attention to it. And I do believe, why wouldn't they? Part of the reason they haven't up until now, as I point out, is just, it's just too hard to get the information. They don't even know they can get the information. They don't know enough to say they can ask those questions. And again, part of the, part of the purpose of the book is to really empower the employer, the employee and say, or the patient and say, look, you can ask your doctor what are their outcomes. You can look for another opinion. You should get a second opinion to decide. Maybe you don't even need the operation. I think people have been very reluctant to do that up until now because they've trusted their physicians. They've trusted their healthcare providers. But I think that trust is starting to erode. And, you know, either employers are going to start to drive and educate them or the employees themselves, the patients themselves are going to start looking at it. So basically, Dr. Google is going to come out on top? Yeah, you know, again, let's think about it. There's not a purchase you make. Healthcare is the, is the craziest business on the planet. You know, it, it, there's no doubt about it. From, an, from a business point of view, it is the most bizarre business, right? You, you get a service. You don't actually know what it's going to cost you. You don't actually know what the outcome is going to be. You get a bill a month or two later. Someone else pays a lot of that bill within three, within three months of that. I mean, there's not a thing on the planet like it. I bought a TV recently for my daughter. And, you know, what did I do? I went to, I went to Consumer Reports. I looked at another website, I got the top 10 TVs, I went to a consumer appliance store, lined up the top brands, looked at them side by side, then I picked one, then I picked the price, and then I bought it. 
if I need a knee replacement, what do I do? I talk to my golfing partner or I talk to my primary care physician. I says, go see Dr. Jones. You go see Dr. Jones. Next thing you know, you're scheduled for surgery at a hospital. You don't even know if Dr. Jones has a fellowship in arthroplasty. You have no idea what Dr. Jones's outcomes are. You don't ask Dr. Jones any questions. You go to the hospital, you have no idea that they've been penalized for hospital-acquired infections for five years in a row. You don't know anything about their safety record. They might have a C for safety, which means the chance of you getting infection is a lot higher. They might have a D for safety by leapfrog. Chance of dying is twice as high as it is in an A-rated hospital. It's kind of crazy, right? We make, you know, the, you know, Richard Thaler won the Nobel Prize a couple of years ago for behavioral economics, talking about how irrational people are in making major purchases. And this is a classic example of it. So it sounds like what you're saying is that this is going to be very consumer driven. And you have a lot of esteemed colleagues that are saying the same thing that, you know, at the end of the day, we're coming down to a consumer revolution. And, you know, you've got the employers and, and whatnot that are kind of, I don't know, adding some spice to the mix. But like at the end of the day, it's consumers that are leading the charge here. Is that what I'm understanding you say? Well, I think it's payers, you know, at the end of the day, who are the, who's paying for this? And, you know, traditionally, we think of payers as the insurance companies. But you and I both know the insurance companies aren't really paying anything, right? We, the impl- we're paying as citizens to our taxes, right? We're paying Medicare and Medicaid. You, you know, Marty McCarry talks about almost 50% of total tax revenue goes to pay some, some kind of health care costs, either Medicare, Medicaid, military health benefits, veterans health benefits. That's almost half of our dollars that we pay. So we're, we're paying and the employers are paying. Uh, it's really not the insurance company. So I think it's a, it's going to be a revolution driven by the payers at the end of the day. And the consumers are important part of that because they also are continuing to pay a disproportionate share compared to what they did in the past. Okay, so let's get some advice from you. I am a health system executive right now, and I am hearing what you're saying and adding and subtracting and toting up the difference and thinking to myself, what do I do now? If I'm specifically talking about the numerator, let's just start there. You know, the safety, quality, outcomes, and satisfaction side of top of the equation there. I know, because you just said it's a multi-year process, but like, where do I start? What's my first foray? What I would do and what I've done, I think first look, you have to understand, you have to look yourself in the mirror actually and see how do I I look in the public domain? If anyone was looking, and I'm not saying they have been looking, but if someone's looking, what are they going to see? And I think look at your safety record on LeapFrog. They come out every six months. Don't just look at the latest one. Look back over. It's easy. Go to the website. Look at the last four years. If you've got straight C's for the last four years, you have to start asking yourself why. But you got to go beyond the actual letter grade. And I think most of us as hospital presidents, executives, you tend to just look at the letter. You don't look and say, well, what are the 28 measures that go into those scores? And which are the ones that we're way behind on? And where can we, where can we do better? These are important things, by the way. These are things that hurt patients, right? They're falls with injuries. They're operating on the wrong people, operating on the wrong body parts, leaving stuff inside of people. These are not small, small things. They're really important to people, right? Same thing for quality. Look at my star ratings. And, you know, the American Hospital Association kind of lambasted the CMS for putting out their star ratings. And, and they they're were against it, saying it's, you know, it's basically fake news, as it would be you know, to summarize as to their argument. And, I, you know, I think that's, it's kind of like when you go to C in college. You know, what do you do? You blame the teacher, you blame the exam. Did you ever notice the kids with the A's never complained? It, you know, you got to really take a good look and say, why did we get a C? Why did we get two stars and not four stars or five stars? 
So the reason, just just to understand what you're saying, the 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 reason that you're suggesting that is not necessarily because some consumer is going to go look at it. The reason that you're saying that is because it is actually a valid metric that works for you too. You know, like you can go in and see if you leave a sponge inside of a patient and they have to have a second operation, regardless of whether they even realized what happened, you're going to have a dissatisfied patient on your hands. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? If you don't do it because it's just the right thing to do, which I would argue it's just the right moral and ethical thing to do. You actually should do it because it's the right business thing to do. We, I worked on a hospital that was almost uninsurable in the third market. You know, we, you know, in London, we'd go to buy insurance. And the claims history was so bad, they wouldn't want to sell us insurance. And over years, we got to the point where they were happy, more than happy to give us insurance. So we were getting rebates back on our excess carrier. Because these things are all related. If you provide better care and your patients are happier and you cause less harm to them, you're much less likely to be sued. So besides, the, you, so besides the fact these are your neighbors and your friends and your board members and your own colleagues who are, who are potentially being harmed in your own hospital, you can actually lower the cost, your own cost. So do it for the business reasons if you don't want to do it for the moral and ethical reasons. So effectively, you can use some of these rating systems that you talked about, and there's several. You know, you've got U.S. News, you've got LeapFrog, you've got CMS. I interviewed Dr. Carl Billamorio that kind of compared and contrasted them. So pick one, pick two, pick three, and use it as your own dashboard, really. No, exactly. And listen, pick no, you know, I've been blessed to be, I, you know, for the last hospital I was at, we had four stars. Uh, we had A's seven out of eight times the last four years. We're on IBM Watson's top 100 list, Newsweek's top 1,000 list. Uh, so I, I kind of know what you need to do to get there, but I also know it takes time. I think too often as a healthcare executive, we delegate these things to individual people, right? So we have somebody who's in charge of patient satisfaction and someone else who's in charge of quality and someone else who's in charge of safety. But, you know, as I pointed out earlier, when I was the chief medical officer, I had all those domains under me. And I realized those are tr- well, two things. A, there's a tremendous overlap, and it's kind of all variants on the theme. So you need to get, as an, I think, you know, my suggestion is get those folks in a room, and then you need to understand that's important to you. you. Make it personal that this is important. These are important measures for us, not because it's, don't tell them it's the right business thing to do. Just tell them it's the right thing to do for our patients. And you get a little kind of, you can play the shame and guilt card a little bit if you're getting C's and D's or two stars. And, you know, you got to ask yourself, is, is our goal to be running a mediocre hospital? I don't think so. I think most of us want to be, do better than that. You know, it has been said any number of times by any number of people on the show. And I think you're saying the same thing. So you're in very good company that an initiative like this must be driven by the C-suite. Like it can't be something that C- CEO or CFO really, or COO says, okay, you've been the surgery or you in this department, you guys need to figure this out. Like this is your problem, quality department. It has to be something that somebody in the C-suite is taking personal interest in and really operationalizing. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely. I think, and I really think it has to be from the top, to be honest with you. I think all too often I hear hospital executives, you know, poo-poo the data, they question the data, they say, oh, you pay lead frog to get the grades. And, and the, the truth is the data comes from us. We actually... <laughs> <laughs> By and large, most of this data either comes from us or from our patients through surveys. So it's not really rigged. It's not really fake news. I think you have to take ownership. That's my my sense. Take ownership. Make it a priority. Make it personal. Talk about these patients, your patients again as your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, your own employees. And I think if by doing that and showing the data to your team so they know you're familiar with it, and asking why we're not doing better, I think you could really drive change. The only caveat I say is, remember, it takes time because some of these things are, they're rolling 12-month uh, scores. They might, uh, CMS tends to be over a two-year period of time. So you can't change it overnight. 
You can't change patient experience scores overnight. You could change it a small percentage every year over five years. But you'll look back after five years and go, wow, look how far we've come. Okay, so we've got number one, look at the data dashboard and actually stop making excuses and start doing something. That's what I'm understanding, number one. Number two is, you know, C-suite, you got to take ownership for this. Like, you got to make it a core imperative. Like, you have to make sure you're managing this because, or make sure you're measuring it because then it's going to get managed. What else? I think you pointed about the cost. You asked about that. You can't ignore the denominator, right? Listen, I'm not that naive uh, that people are going to pay more because your quality safety scores are great. That's just not going to happen. There's no real four seasons business in healthcare where people say, oh, I'm going to go there because, to to your point earlier, the parking is great, the food is great, they got a lobster dinner. Yes, there are some people and some, you know, I worked in Fairfield County, Connecticut for a while. So there are certainly a subset of folks who those things will be important. But by and large, most people are not going to pay more for that. So you really have to pay attention to the cost. And, And I think I would say, look at the entire episode of cost. The total cost of care from the time a patient sees a doctor, whether you're an employee or not, just from the time they see them till they get into your hospital, what happens when they're in your hospital on the cost side? Look at the variable cost per case for your 10 orthopedic surgeons or 10 spine surgeons and really start looking at the differences with them, sitting down with them and say, hey guys, you have to get good data because they're going to question data right away. So there's an investment you have to make in making sure you get great data regarding their outcomes. But then you have doctors, you know, we're all type A personalities and nobody wants to be a below average physician. So you can use that data. It's very powerful when you have it in front of them. They really can't argue and say, well, Joe over here has much better outcomes than you, John. And why is that? And what are you doing different? And or your costs are thousands more per case because you're using some, I don't know, antibiotic latent cements that really haven't been shown to make any difference. And his outcomes are just as good as yours. Actually, they're a little better and his, his cost is less. So I think you have to look at the total cost of care, including what happens after your patients go home from a hospital. Very, very important. We've eliminated a lot of costs just by sending patients home after a hip or knee replacement and skipping the skilled nursing facility step at all. People could do a tremendous, where apps again come in, it's a tremendous amount now you can do at home. You're doing your own therapy, really with a therapist remotely, that when avoiding a, a staying in a skilled nursing facility. It sounds like also what this additionally adds up to, and I'm not sure whether this is kind of part of your advice logic or if it's a ancillary prize, is that you also would then be set up to be able to do bundling, which, I mean, maybe we're thinking that that's going to be the first. It's a lot of times how people dip their toe into value-based care is by doing bundles of services. And, and you have to do all of the things that you just said in order to effectively put together a bundle and not lose your shirt. Yeah, absolutely. I think bundles are going to be very, bundles are already becoming and will continue to become a very important aspect of this move to value. And you have to look at the, as I pointed out, the total cost of care in the bundle and you can lose your shirt, but I could, but more importantly, you can actually save a lot of money and not impact your costs at all by just lowering those costs I talked about before they ever come to your hospital and the costs they incur after they leave your hospital. And then looking at the variable cost per case within your hospital and just driving it towards the better outcome, lower cost. You can save thousands and thousands of dollars per case. There's no doubt about it. But you have to engage your physicians. They have to be part of this. And again, it can't be about we want to provide cheapest care. We want to use the cheapest implant. No, we want to just show them because they don't know the variability either, by the way. I think it's, a, again, we think the doctors know all this. They have no idea about what the total cost is. They're often shocked when they see the, the price we pay for the things that they use. 
I think that's. I think bundles are important. I think warrant people are going to want a warranty. You know, we have a warrantied episode of care for our patients that have hip or knee replacements, and we've had patients come from Florida and Chicago and have had great experiences. But I don't think. I think most healthcare is still local, and I think people really can. Right, there's a, too much variability within the same state, within the same city. So patients don't have to fly to Cleveland to have have surgery. They can just drive 20 miles in one direction or less and have a better outcome and a lower cost. So talk a little bit about your upcoming book. It's uh, tentatively titled, uh, You Put Your Life in Their Hands. And really kind of, I start actually with that, you know, spoiler alert. Uh, I start with that <laughs> example of buying a television and the research you do before you buy a, what I'll call a $400, you know, basic commodity versus a shopping for, I, I, you know, I say shopping in quotes, shopping for a total knee replacement, which at least today, the average cost, if I understand, the total cost of care is about $57,000. And how little research we do on the latter and how much we do on the former, again, it defies all logic, right? Trying to educate the consumers about where they can go for some of this information, whether it's the possiblecompare.gov or LeapFrog or looking at HCAP scores or patient satisfaction scores so that they can look and see for the things that, to your point earlier, the things that are important to them. The book's not out yet. Where can people go to keep up with the latest on um, you, my friend? Yeah, right now they could reach me at uh, john at aristahealth.com. Arista is uh, Greek for the best, uh, homage to my Greek heritage. I'm a son of Greek immigrants. So john at aristahealth.com. People can contact me directly and I'm certainly free and available to talk about any of these things that I'm pretty passionate about. Dr. John Rodas, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Well, thanks for having me, Stacey. Thank you so much. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.